Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All, and this is a very special edition. I have my friends Malcolm and Cheryl Smith with us, and many of you have heard our recordings with Malcolm before, and thousands of you have have, uh, heard him directly through his webinars. Cheryl is with him now. I would say that she's his better half, but she might be his better 90% or something. I'm not sure, but uh, what a wonderful couple, and thank you both so much for being with me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's a joy, Paul. We... We enjoy our association together. We do very much. I couldn't wait to have Cheryl meet you and talk to you. Yeah, well, I was looking forward to it. Thank you. Me too. And I look forward to coming to Bandera and uh, hanging out with you guys. One of these, bringing my wife Kitsy with me, and we'll have a great time. All right, so for our time together, I'm not going to give your introduction because most of our listeners know, and it would take longer than the program is to tell of all the things that you've done and the places that you've been and the uh, teachings that you've done. I'll just tell people up front that you've been a tremendous influence in my life and many other people's lives in a wonderful way, and we'll give them the opportunity to find out more about you and contact you at the end of this. But I want to talk today about God's love, the love of God. And you have a number of webinars where you've talked about that in great detail, and it's so wonderful for me to find out every day that God is better, uh, good, better, best. God, God is better than I thought even the day before. And his goodness is something that many of us haven't known or haven't been sure of. Tell us about your understanding of God's love and what that means for you in your life and for us in our lives. It would be true to say that my entire ministry has been seeking to explain God's love. If I would just put it in one sentence, that would be it. I began in ministry 70 years ago this year, and it was through an encounter with the Holy Spirit that literally healed me in my emotions, mind, and probably also my body, but also thrust me out into ministry. I was 14 years old, having come through World War II, and my brain and my emotions had been devastated by bomb shelters, air raid sirens, the Blitz in London. And when the war was over, it wasn't over in me. And it Mm. took the Holy Spirit to do that. And the Spirit came upon me in a meeting this particular night. And when the preacher had finished speaking, though he was not speaking about the Holy Spirit, but when he finished, he said, if you want to receive the Spirit, go to the prayer room. And I knew enough that what was happening to me was the Holy Spirit. Today, I wouldn't use that language to describe what happened to me, but that's what he said, and it made sense to me. And so I went into the prayer room. That was about nine o'clock, and I stayed in that prayer room till 2.30 in the morning. And I didn't know the pastor. I was in a church I hadn't been to before. But he stayed up in the church till 2.30, just waiting for the Holy Spirit to finish dealing with me. And this was back in the 1950s. They did things like that back there. And when I came out, I had been healed. My life up until that point could be described totally as anxiety, unknown fears, afraid of fear. And just in those hours, the Holy Spirit cleaned the slate. 
I'd never spoken really to another individual. I was afraid of people. And that night, the pastor said, well, you know, God has met with you. Would you come on Sunday nights and tell my people about it? And I, yeah, I'd do anything. And as I was cycling home, that I realized what I'd said. And I, a sudden wave of terror came over me that I, <laughs> I'd never spoken to an individual, let alone a whole church. And in that same moment, the, the witness said, it's, it's okay, it's okay, got this. And so that was in February, 70 years ago. And I stood in the pulpit that Sunday. I have no idea what I said, <laughs> but it must have been okay because mm-hmm. I got booking after booking. I, I went all over our county, you know, as this kid who was preaching. And I rapidly found that what had happened to me did not fit what was being taught to me in the church I was going to. And it became a big thing. And I essentially left that church. It was not like a big breakup, but mentally I left them. And I began a journey that would last for approximately 17, 20 years even, just seeking the question, who is God? Who is he? And in the light of who is God, who am I? And why am I here? All those very basic human questions in relation to God. And sometime, I don't know, it's a blur, but sometime I would say around 15, 16, 17 years old, reading the first epistle of John, that verse in chapter four, it just, you know, we say leaped out at me. It became like someone chiseled it into my heart that God is love. And what came to me so strongly was that he is love. That is, he doesn't have it. And that changed my whole understanding of God. He doesn't have any love. He is it. You see, mm-hmm. it's like I say, I have a glass of water. That's one thing. But to say I am water is a totally other thing. And God is, is, is love. Which means, of course, that I cannot think of anything about God without passing it through the lens of is love. I couldn't, his love is not a bit of him, and then beside him is another bit. So God is love, and then, okay, so handle that, and then he's something else, and he's something else. No, God is love. It speaks of his very being, the isness of God. So everything I know of God has got to go through that lens. Mm-hmm. He is love. And if he is love, there's no past tense or future tense. He is not a was, he's not a will be, he is. So in every moment I live, in this now moment, God is love. That's the only way I can know him. And of course, God is love became flesh in the incarnation and and so on, the rest of the gospel. And so it followed rapidly to understand that the God who is love is also declared to be good. And uh, I have found over the years that many people, they can accept that God is love, sort of. Um, it's a sort of Christian thing to accept that. But yeah, he's, he's love, but he's yeah. also. And so usually to stir them up to hear what I'm saying, I, I say, do you understand not only that he loves you, but he likes you? 
that sets the cat among the pigeons. I mean, no, I've had whole congregations have a physical reaction to that. They cannot imagine that God likes it. The image that religion has given to them is quite the reverse, that God is royally upset with them mm. and certainly doesn't like them. And then to believe that that verse that is taken totally out of context in the prophet Habakkuk, where Habakkuk the prophet said, you are too holy to look at sin. God didn't say that. Habakkuk did. And in the next chapter, the, the Lord very gently slaps his fingers and, and says, that's not true. I'm up to my ears with sinners and looks on them, I'm with them. And so we've got this idea that God, so holy, he had to beat up his own son before he could ever find it in him to forgive us. He had to have a pound of flesh, a good thrashing to his son that tortured him and delivered him to death. Now maybe this monstrous God can think of loving me. That's where most people are at. That's what they've been taught. Whereas the scripture says he is love, he is good, and he does like you. People ask me, where's that in the Bible? Well, yeah, it's there. There are two words that really concern us in the Greek. And of course, the first one, God is love, that's agape. That's the overall unbelievable self-giving love. But there's another word that is used in the New Testament, phileo. The Greek word phileo means I like you. We're friends, really, the word of friendship. And it says in John, I think it's John 16, that the Father himself and his phileo, in most versions, is translated with love. Uh, they shouldn't do that. It's a different word. And it means the Father himself likes you. He's fond of us. He likes to hang out with us. It's a friendship thing. And I realize this is, to understand the isness of God, he is love, he is good. I cannot escape this. This is the entire gospel in a word. And I found out also, as I've already said, that for the most part, Christians in the West have no idea of that. Their God is not love. He sometimes is. It's a mood. And most of the time he's pissed off with us. But, you know, he has a mood. Mm. As you see, is means there's no mood. God never had. I saw it. I was in New Orleans around Mardi Gras, and there was a group of bright-eyed teenagers who were witnessing to the Mardi Gras crowd. And they had this big sign right there with the crowd, and it said, God is in a good mood today, you know. If you can get him in a good mood, well, you, he's in a good mood. You can come and talk to him. To me, that, God bless them, I know what they intended to do, but that's blasphemy. To say that God is a, a mood. Uh, he, no, he's not a mood. He has no moods. He is who he is who he is. And that became the rest of my life, mm -hmm. to exegete that. And it would be true to say, very true to say, that I have been a student with the Holy Spirit, my teacher, of the love of God up until now, from that time until now, I have pursued what that means in our lives. Not as a doctrine, but to anybody I meet, anybody that is broken, anybody that's passing through hell on earth, 
anybody that is under pressure being crushed by life. Mm-hmm. That's the message. God mm-hmm. is love. I don't have to do anything. Um, he owns his love, yeah. which means I can't do anything to make him love me because mm-hmm. he does. Totally. But then on the other hand, I can't do anything to stop him loving me. In a beautiful sense, I'm stuck with this. Mm-hmm. God is love, and I can't escape him. And so the person who's at the bottom of the barrel in life, I can assure them that in Jesus Christ, the love of God, God the Son, Christ has invaded our darkness. He's come into our deepest pain and grief, yes. and he's at home there. Yes. And he loves us and is there to bring us out of it. I didn't come to Christ till I was 33, and I was very broken. And my 14-year-old daughter had been praying for me for years, and I was going all over the world, you know, and really was messed up. I'd lost my fiancé in Vietnam and then through molestation, rape, all kinds of things. And so my daughter had been praying for me, and I went to church with her, but I said, is this church? I knew most of the men there. They'd been hitting on me for years. Mm-hmm. So then an older lady there asked me to take her to a crusade, and it was a setup because the Holy Spirit spoke through Bill Glass, and he was preaching about Tamar, and I was Tamar, and I shook all the way to the altar and gave my life to Christ on March 17th of 1983. And then immediately I got into going into prisons because I knew that's where I needed to go. So I didn't really grow up in religion. My dad was a very angry man. And so I associated God with (laughs) the father with that, you know. But of course, since then, I've come to know the father through Jesus And the first time I went into prison, I mean, a big, huge woman came up and got in my face. What do you feel about me being a homosexual? I said, I know God loves you and I'm not here to judge you. And she watched me all day long. But at the end of the day, she came. She didn't feel judged. And she said, would you pray with me to receive Christ? And I've been doing it ever since because the love of God changed my life. I was able to find out who I really am, because when Bill Glass said Tamar tore her royal robe, I felt it here, and I knew that my identity had been stolen, and so my life changed so drastically that I started getting into prison ministry, and then after volunteering a year at Harris County Jail, which is the third largest jail in the nation, They asked me to be the staff chaplain, and I was there for 10 years and was with Carla Tucker when she was executed. I've been with some of the high-profile cases like Selena's Killer, Yolanda Salazar, different ones. But there were 2,700 female inmates at Harris County, and I had 65 female volunteers from all denominations, but we all prayed together. And the love of Christ is what changes lives. So the goodness of God, what can I say? I prayed in 1996 on Mother's Day, Lord, show me your glory. And I read that whole thing about, and he showed me his goodness because even when I walked through deep places, I wasn't married for 35 years before I met Malcolm. And 
I didn't really think I'd ever be married again, but I believe the Lord wanted me to experience the love I feel through my husband and how God just has blessed us because we think alike. Even so, his life was so drastically different than mine, you know. It's interesting when you compare the gospel presentation in the earliest church with how it's done today. Many times what they call evangelism today is to threaten people. You know, if you don't do this, then A, God won't love you, and B, he'll punish you forever, which I've never made sense of that. You know, you've got to love me, and if you don't, I'll burn you in hell forever. That, that doesn't make sense. But the scripture says very plainly that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Yeah. And the word repentance is another word that should be banned from the Bible because it's a wrong translation. The word there in the Greek language is metanoia. And metanoia means a radical, radical enlightenment of your mind and understanding your perceptions to the point where you could actually say the exchanged mind is you're receiving another mind. And that's what the word means. Repentance in America anyway sort of means a wail and beating my breast and wailing that I'm no good, I'm nothing. Groveling. Groveling. <laughs> and um, that's absolutely nothing to do with what the word means. I've said the sinner's prayer, which again is not in the New Testament, but if you're going to have a sinner's prayer, it should simply be, wow. <laughs> that, that, that's a sinner's prayer. Wow. That is, I've seen it. I've understood, I've got it, wow, that God is love. And love is a verb. Love is a verb, as is goodness a verb. You can never think of love as being static, passive. Love is action. Love is movement toward. And love is the doing. Love never talks about. It does. Mm -hmm. And so love comes to us. Love does in our lives is action and in so doing brings us to repentance or at better metanoia where we wake up i don't advocate this idea of you've got to get saved tonight because you might die in the night that's threats that's that's trying to sell insurance that's really it's something that i'd expect a, a salesman to say to me but the Holy Spirit is not like that. We, we are talking about life change. We're talking about mind change, and not simply change, but transformation change. We're talking about moving into the experience of the new creation, and therefore you begin to see this, and then you see it more, and you see it more, and you make cautious commitments. It's okay. You say, I'm full of doubt. That's perfectly okay. The Holy Spirit knows what he's at. Mm -hmm. And he loves you just where you are. And for where you are, full of doubt, you're, you're perfect. Outside that door, we've got tomatoes. And some of them are green and small. But they're perfect. For the amount of time they've been growing, they're perfect. If it appeared to be a red one today, that's a phony one. It's not ready for that yet. And then when they've actually become red tomatoes, it's right on time. They're perfect. 
So there's this journey of faith where I trust him. I was raised to, in terms of testimony, say, I know the Lord. And when you said that, you're sort of in. You got it. But I wouldn't say that today. I am knowing the Lord. It's the same way I had a big toe in the Pacific Ocean. I don't know the Pacific Ocean. I've got a toe in it. But if I hang around this ocean a bit longer and plunge into it, I'm going to increasingly know. Mm-hmm. And so the love of God is an ocean that is far vaster than the Pacific, and it's deeper than the Pacific too. And so to plunge into this ocean of God's love doesn't happen in a moment. And I'm still, I discovered things when I woke up this morning insight into the love of God that after 70 years, I'd never seen that before. <laughs> so do I know the Lord? Of course I know the Lord, but not better. I'm knowing him. I'm coming to know him. When I met Cheryl, she was sitting on the front row of the meeting, and I was preaching on the love of God in the prodigal son. And she sat on the front row, and she was weeping with tears of joy. And I remember noticing her. It was such a deep thing going on inside of her. And if anybody said to me, do you know Cheryl? Well, yeah, she was that lady on the front row. And for that moment of time, that was perfect. I knew her perfectly for the amount of time I'd seen her. And then the phone calls and coming to be with her and arrange this, that, and the other, and friendship developed. And do you know her? Yes, I do know her. I know her much more than I did just looking at that lady on the front row. Mm. And then, of course, we're we're going to get married. Well, do you know? Of course I know her. You know, we're going to get married. I really know her. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. (laughs) You wait, you know, to discover another person. It's the adventure of this person beside me. The mystery, the beautiful mystery of this person is being unfolded day by day. The union. Yeah. And so, do you know the Lord? Of course, I know the Lord. But at the same time, I've got beyond words and time to discover him and to plunge into him. And of course, again, the modern church has not been taught that. Mm -hmm. The modern church begins with fear that I'm going to come to this God who doesn't like me and he's going to do some terrible things to me if I don't tell him he's good and accept this Jesus. Mm -hmm. See, if you begin with fear, Only fear will keep you going. Mm -hmm. And so that's why most churches live by fear. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, then... It's condemnation and intimidation, really. It is. Our mutual friend Paul Young calls that POS theology, piece of scuba. And it really is. That's what we were taught you're no good. I don't like to repeat it all anymore, but that's where we were, and and that's unfortunately where a whole lot of people are today. I used to call them goosebumps. I I call them Jesus bumps now, but once in a while when I'm interviewing somebody, I'll say, uh, oh, wow, that gave me Jesus bumps. Well, I've had Jesus bumps since we started this interview. I mean, they're going to be permanent on there. This has been so good. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, We'll stay on the line, and then we'll record another one that people will see a few days later. But in wrapping this up, tell people how they can hear you, because I know if if people have never heard you, they're going, 
where can I get more of this? Tell people how they can connect with you, where they can hear your teaching, where they can come to your seminars. Tell us about that. The simplest answer to that is go to YouTube. And what you're looking for is Malcolm Smith webinars. If you put in Malcolm Smith, you'll get one or two. But if you put in Malcolm Smith webinars, we have well over 400 hours of teaching on YouTube. And I might say start with the latest and work backwards. When we began doing it, we had a wretched little camera. And (laughs) quite apart from that, I've seen a lot of things in the last 400. So that's the easiest way to go YouTube for Malcolm Smith webinars. And then our page on the web is Unconditional Love Fellowship. Unconditional Love Fellowship. People search for me on the web, and you'll probably end up there, but you won't get there immediately. But if you go Unconditional Love Fellowship, that's our webpage. And there you can find what we're doing. And we live in Bandera, which is a crossroads in the hills. It's called by the federal government, the cowboy capital of the world. Yahoo! (laughs) And I've lived here for over 20 years now. And it's a very peaceful little place that nobody ever bothers with. And we have Bible schools here on a very regular basis. We It's a seven modules. Each module begins on a Friday morning, goes through Saturday night, and I talk nonstop. And so it's about 14 hours of teaching. And the first in the cycle is Who is God? We spend 14 hours on what we've just chatted about here and also ask the question, the purpose, why why did God create us? Because this opens up another whole conversation. But he created us to be adopted into his family in Christ Jesus. And therefore, Jesus didn't come to deal with Adam's sin. That would send you down a wrong path altogether. Jesus came to bring us into the family. And, oh, by the way, he's got to deal with sin to do that. But it's the big picture, and we deal with that in the first module. Then we move on to ask, what is sin? What did Adam really do? And, of course, we throw out the idea there was a sin nature involved, because there's nowhere in the Scripture that says that. We deal with what is sin. And then we, we go on to follow all the prophecies of the Old Testament And then in Module 4, we deal with the Incarnation, which is the greatest thing that ever happened in all time and eternity. Mm. And um, then in Module 5, we do the finished work of Christ. What really happened? If the Father wasn't beating the crap out of him, what really happened in the finished work of Christ? That's the center of the whole Bible school, Module 5. And then... Module 6, the Holy Spirit, and the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's, again, 14 hours on that. And then we finish Module 7 with, we just simply say, end times. Though many of those end times don't really exist, except in the figment of people's imagination. But that's what we deal with. And ask them very searching questions as to what lies beyond death. And people come out shouting the joy. So you, you get the figure. But then we start all over again with another module one. 
and he goes on. That's he rewrites right. every one of yeah. them. Every module, the I re-prepare it. I've lived a lot of life, and I've lived a lot of revelation since the last time I gave him. And so it's brand new every time. It's brand new in the sense of how am I seeing it in this moment, as opposed to how did I see it two years ago? Truth is truth. We don't keep changing the truth. But it's what you see of it. It's the revelation. Mm -hmm. You need that. And a Bible school without revelation is a lecture hall. And the most boring, boring place on earth. But if you've got the facts, uh, doctrine, it's like uh, all those cans in your pantry. It's canned vegetables. And it's got the picture on the front. And you've got all the facts. That's what's in there. Revelation is when you've opened the can and you're eating it. That's revelation. Yeah, and, that's and, so right. Yeah. So, yeah. And then every year we have a retreat. This year it's in December, the first weekend of December. It's going to be awesome, 70 years of ministry. Yeah, this celebrates my 70 years of ministry. He's given yeah. me Saturday night to celebrate. Uh, yeah, so. so I have no idea what she's doing. And that's going to be in San Antonio this year, right? Yes. Normally it's up in the hills here. But this time it's by the airport, Doubletree Hilton. That's good for people because normally they have to rent a car when they get to San Antonio to get out up here into the hills. But this time all they do is arrive in San Antonio and the bus will pick them up and bring them to the hotel. And so it's a lot cheaper that way. The subject that I'm dealing with in the retreat is living now in the rest of God. Yeah, (laughs) and how. In the middle of chaos, how do I live in the rest of God? And then, as Cheryl said, she's she's got Saturday night to celebrate 70 years. Interesting, when Queen Elizabeth was coronated, she began being queen, and I began in the ministry right at the same time. She was crowned queen, as my experience of the Holy Spirit was. That's all in the same year. So 70 wow. years of ministry, and she just passed today. But it's 70 years of being queen. So anyway, that's on the side. Yeah. Well, thank you for explaining all of that. And I know people will want to avail themselves to as many of those things as they can. And I know that they'll all just be wonderful. So this has been wonderful. So thank you both. And thank you all for watching. And we'll see you again next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.